Well, good morning, everyone. We are in week two of the series called For Their Future. And I'm just going to shoot straight with you here this morning. What we're doing with For Their Future is we're going to challenge you to get on board financially with where we're headed as a church. Um, Don't freak out about that. I don't want you to feel manipulated or like we're trying to guilt you in any way. I I hate it when people do that to me. And um, if you're a guest here this morning, Josh mentioned earlier, feel free if you'd like just to listen in to observe what we're doing. This is for those of us who attend here regularly at the same time. This is actually a pretty good time to be here as a guest because you get kind of an inside look at who we are as a church. If you are a regular attendee here, though, I do want to challenge you. And, And here's why. What we're talking about this morning is bigger than just a financial project. It really is. What this really gets down to is the core of our hearts and where our priorities lie. We've done a number of these kind of things through the years, and every single time we go through it, it causes me to ask myself just how tightly am I holding on? to my money and possessions. And usually, I find out it's a little too tightly. So what this causes for me, these kind of things, it causes me to make spiritual decisions, which really is what Jesus has told us all along, isn't it? That really, if you want to get a good barometer of where we are spiritually, you can just look at how we handle our finances. I'm actually in a pretty unique position this go-around on this one because I'm going to retire in a couple years, so there's really no benefit to me with what we're doing here. Um, not that there ever has been on any of the financial projects directly. I mean, honestly, I've never gotten a dime of this, but it allows me to challenge you without anybody thinking I have any kind of ulterior motive here. And you may say, well, why are you on board with this? Why are you doing this if you're retiring in a couple of years? And, and here's why. I believe to the core of my being with all my heart in the vision we have as a church. And in addition to that, I still have some friends that I want to invite to come here. And uh, even if that happens after I retire... I'm hoping to invite them here because I love the fact that we can invite our friends to our church who don't go to church and keep them in mind every Sunday of the year. I love the fact that um, we're a church that puts out at the forefront that we want to point people to Jesus. And so because of that, I love to hear the stories. I love to hear Pam's story earlier that we saw on video. And I want you now to hear Erica's story. When I first started attending the Ridge, I didn't really understand a whole lot, but as I kept coming, I understood more and felt that it was getting more and more important to me. I felt like I also didn't necessarily, like, I understood it and I cared about it and I started reading, but I didn't fully do it all the time as much as I do now and as much as I should have and didn't understand the full meaning of it. And then I went through something that was really difficult and had some loss in my life. And that helped me um, dive deeper into it and really understand what God can do for us. 
So for a while I had decided I wanted to be baptized and there was a conflict going on in my life that I wasn't sure if I should get baptized right then or not, but I realized that Jesus wanted me to follow him and take that next step. So I wanted to do that rather than focusing on the conflict. Now I just feel like I know no matter what comes up or what circumstances I'm put into that God will use me for good and put me where I'm supposed to be and that if there is pain I know that it will get better and that it's for a purpose bigger than what I can see. So I just try to stay really positive and keep figuring out, you know, what does he want me to do and try to feel where he wants me to go and dive deeper into his word to help me figure that out. One of the things that I enjoy most about the Ridge is that I can connect with something at every service and it feels like whatever is being said connects to something that's happening in my life right then. So it's very applicable to my daily life and I feel that anytime I bring someone or um, someone is new that it that that's feedback from them as well that it people can just jump in. What price can you put on a story like that? You can't, can you? Now, our vision as a church is to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. Any vision that is successful, anything that is accomplished through a vision, has at least two components to it. It has a challenge, and it also has sacrifice. Often it, the challenge comes from a leader, where a leader will say something like, the way things are now, we don't want them to stay that way. They need to change. We can see something in the future that is better. Will you get on board with that vision? That's the challenge the leader often gives. A second thing you see in any successful vision is sacrifice. Sometimes in incredible ways, where people will say, because I want to see that vision accomplished, I will sacrifice. I will give something that costs me something. You see both challenge and sacrifice in the book of Nehemiah. We've been using the book of Nehemiah, a book from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, um, in this series. We'll continue to use it in our series called For Their Future. A little bit of background, especially if you didn't catch it last week. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. And what that means is he was the guy who would drink the king's wine and he would eat the king's food before the king would just to make sure it wasn't poison, so it was okay for the king. So obviously this is a very trusted position. It was also though a pretty good job to have as long as somebody wasn't trying to poison the king because... I mean, you got to eat the king's food and drink his wine all the time. You lived in the palace. You had all the perks that went along with living in the palace. It was a pretty good job. Another unique thing about Nehemiah is he was Jewish, living in Persia. The king we're talking about was the king of Persia. And you say, well, how did a Jewish person end up in Persia and end up being the cupbearer for the king? Well, about 100 years before that, his homeland, Nehemiah's own homeland, had been overrun by an enemy nation and just left everything in ruins. And some of those people in 
the land of Israel were taken off to different countries. And somehow, Nehemiah or his family ended up in Persia, and he, he, he ended up as the cupbearer for the king of Persia, which is an amazing story in and of itself. But Nehemiah got word that the walls of Jerusalem, his homeland, had not been rebuilt. In fact, Jerusalem was lying in ruins a hundred years later. The place was destitute. And it drove him crazy that this was happening in his homeland. He couldn't stand it. I mean, when he pictured Jerusalem, when he envisioned Jerusalem, he saw this thriving city. He saw people milling around. He saw people shopping. He saw kids playing in the streets. He saw people going to the temple to pray. None of that was happening, and he couldn't stand it. And so he felt compelled as leaders do, to do something about it. He was so passionate about it that we read in the book of Nehemiah that he wept for days and days. Finally, as he prayed about it and he fasted, he went to the king, the king of Persia, and he asked permission. He was nervous to do this. He went to the king of Persia and he said, could I return to my homeland to help lead the effort to rebuild the walls? And in addition to that, he asked the king if he would provide some resources so they could rebuild the walls. The king said yes. So Nehemiah returned, and as a leader, he stood before the people there in Jerusalem and the officials, the leaders of that city, and he cast a vision, and he asked them to help him rebuild the walls. I want to read you that part of it. This is Nehemiah chapter 2, and I'll start reading in verse 16. It says this, the city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing. He was checking out the walls for himself, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. There's the challenge that this leader gives. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king, and they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. What is our challenge as a church? Well, over the next two years, so 2019 and 2020, our challenge is to lay a foundation for the future. These are going to be transitional years for us as Adam Johnson assumes the lead pastor role. So over these next two years, we want to position ourselves so that when 2021 rolls around, we are ready to impact our community in unprecedented ways. So my challenge to you is this. Are you willing to do for someone else what someone has done for you? Many of you are here today because someone years ago, maybe many years ago, took on the challenge to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. Or perhaps you've been around here for a while. And my challenge to you would be this. Are you willing to re-up? Are you willing to say, I'll recommit to doing whatever it takes? I'm going to do that. Now, the second part of any successful vision is sacrifice. No vision is accomplished without cost. 
So what we have to do is ask ourselves this question, is it worth the cost? I remember when we were preparing to build this building, and that, the preparation for that actually go back about 10 years ago. And we challenged people to sacrifice because we had a vision to see people come to Christ through this building. I was told by the consultants that we were working with at the time that I should lead that sacrifice. And I think that makes sense, doesn't it? A leader should be willing to lead the way of a sacrifice. Nehemiah did that. You know, he left that cushy job as cupbearer in the palace to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He did that against amazing odds. You can read that in the book of Nehemiah. It was incredibly hard to do what he did. And our consultants at the time wanted me to share with the church what Janet and I were going to sacrifice so that everybody else could see that we were willing. And to be honest with you, that, that was very uncomfortable for me to do. And honestly, it still makes me uneasy to do that. But I understand why they want you to do that. People need to know that their leaders are willing to sacrifice. You know, when they were building the temple and raising the funds for that in the Old Testament, King David, who was the king at the time, he was the one who stepped up in front of the people and he shared with them the incredible sacrifice that he was going to make. So I discussed it with Janet and it was a three-year process, a three-year campaign at the time. And so Janet and I gave one year of my salary over those three years, in addition to what we were already giving regularly. And um, that was a pretty big sacrifice at the time. We had a daughter in college, we had a son in high school, we had a son in middle school. So here's my question. Was it worth the cost? My mother-in-law, Ann, and my sister-in-law, Terry, started attending after we moved into this building. Neither of them had gone to church much. Both have now become followers of Jesus. They've been baptized. They're active in our church. My barber started attending the church, surrendered his life to Christ, was baptized. I have a couple friends who have come just once, and they haven't been back, but they spoke positively of their experience when they came, and I'm praying that they'll come back. So was the sacrifice for Janet and I worth it? Well, let me answer that with a question. What price can you put on knowing that your friends or your family, those you love and care about, have life-changing relationships with Jesus? What value can you place on knowing that they will spend eternity in heaven? Now, many of you have stories just like that. Your friend, your family member, someone you care about, or maybe you're one of those who has surrendered your life to Jesus or been baptized at the ridge. It was worth it, wasn't it? And the people of Jerusalem, they thought it was worth the cost too because when they start building those walls, it was met with fierce opposition. People were threatening to kill them if they didn't stop building the walls. Risk your life? That's sacrifice. So, so let's look at the sacrifices they made. I think this is a fascinating read from Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 15. It says this, When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half the men worked on the other, and the, while the other half stood guard 
with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. Half the men were always on guard and I... And also, to, I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work through the day. During this time, none of us, nor, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. <laughs> no vision of value is accomplished easily. Every vision has its challenges. So you have to ask, am I willing to sacrifice? The answer for the people of Jerusalem was yes. Years later, when they sat in their fortified city, do you think they thought the sacrifice was worth it? You better believe it. So will you sacrifice to help us do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ? These next two years are going to be crucial in positioning us as a church to be able to do that. And as I look back at the story of sacrifice in Nehemiah, I see three steps in their sacrifice, and they apply to each of us as well. Here was the first step. They prayed. Nehemiah was the one who prayed. So I think the first step to sacrifice is that we pray. That's back in verse 4 of chapter 4. We didn't read it, but when the opposition opposition came, we read, you could read the words in Nehemiah 4, 4. It says, then I prayed. Now, we're going to ask you to pray a simple prayer this week. And that prayer is this, God, what would you have me to do? That's it. And then ask you to respond as God leads. Now the next step to sacrifice is this. Decide. And that's what we saw happening in verses 15 to 18, where the people decided, we're going to do this. The opposition isn't going to keep us from accomplishing our vision. We'll do whatever it takes. And they did. One half guarded the other half. Everybody was carrying their weapons just so they could work. So I'm going to ask you to decide this week. What will we do? And after you've prayed and decide, maybe say, here's what we'll sacrifice as a family. And here's a third step to sacrifice, and it's this. Act. Act. At the end of chapter 4, we see they work from sunup to sundown. They didn't even take off their clothes. You get the idea that they probably even slept right where they were working. Now next week, we're going to ask you to act, to make a commitment for their future. Because we want to lay a foundation over these next two years to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ in unprecedented ways. Now, sacrifice can look different for each of us. But what 
It's exciting is that there's a way for all of us to participate in for their future. Let me give you four ways and see if you fit into one of these categories. If this is all new to you, what we're talking about, you've never really given to church before, you can become what we'll call a first-time giver. For their future, we'll allow you to make a commitment for the very first time. If you've given once or twice or occasionally, you can become what we'll call a regular giver. You can say, I'll make a weekly or a monthly commitment because I believe in the vision of the ridge. If you give regularly now, you could become what's called a percentage giver. This is where you become more intentional. This is where you say, I'm going to give a certain percentage of my income each month or each year to God. The Bible talks about percentage giving as a way to be generous. It even talks about a tithe or 10%. And perhaps that's a goal you could strive for if you're a percentage giver, saying, well, over time I'll increase that until I am giving 10% of my income. But then, this is where it gets very rewarding. If you're already a 10% giver, you give 10% regularly, you can become what's called an impact giver. This is where you say, I want to use my resources to really make an impact. What more can I do? Can I give more? Is there an asset I can give? I want my generosity with God to reflect His generosity with me. So there's actually a way for all of us to participate in doing whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. But it starts with sacrifice. That's the ultimate show of love and devotion, isn't it? God loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son the ultimate sacrifice. Have you ever been given a gift where you knew it didn't cost the giver anything? I had an aunt who would give away stuff that she didn't want. And it wasn't like she couldn't afford it. <laughs> so perhaps one Christmas, she would get a gift she really didn't like or didn't want. So next year, sure enough, it would show up at Christmas. She would give that to someone else, and the person receiving it would just smile and say, thank you, you know. But it just kind of put a damper on the gift a little bit, you know. And I want God to know that I'm going to give him something that costs me something. So I want to look for ways to sacrifice it's important that you know that we as leaders stand behind the vision of our church and are willing to make sacrifices. So Adam and I are going to share with you how our families are planning to sacrifice for, for their future. Janet and I are in a completely different place than we've been in the past when we've done financial projects in our church. As I mentioned, I'm planning to retire in a couple of years. Um, I, I'm going to continue to work, but I, I have no idea what my income source will be in the future. And we also are doing everything we can right now to plan and save for our future, to make sure our finances are in order for our retirement years. Um, so honestly, this financial project has challenged me to ask the question, just how tightly am I holding on? Just how much security am I putting in my savings and investments instead of God? What means more to me, my savings and my comfort, or investing in the lives of others? That should be a no-brainer decision for me, shouldn't it? So Janet and I are going to do a couple things. 
We already give a tithe. In fact, we actually give more than 10% of our income to the church. But one thing we've done is this. I've already frozen my salary, and I'll do that until I retire. That's one way I can give back to the church. Another is by looking at things that we can sacrifice for, for their future. For example, we're going to cut back on our vacations over the next two years and give that money to for their future. We're looking at all our expenses and asking, do we need this? Can we do without that? We have a budget category in our budget for going out to eat. Well, we can cut back on that and give to for their future. We have a car fund where we save for future purchases. We can drive the same car longer and give some of that. There are a number of areas we're looking to cut back. And understand this, we're not doing this begrudgingly. We're doing it, in fact, joyfully because we know that we're investing in what really matters, the lives of others. Adam is going to come and share with you how he and Abby are going to sacrifice as well. My wife Abby and I have been thinking about, have been asking that question, God, what would you have us do for their future? So we're already committed to giving regularly through a tithe. We do so weekly. That just kind of works for us in our budget. So we've decided to give an extra week's worth of tithe each month. So 12 times a year. So to do this, we're going to intentionally use any raises, any bonuses, any extra income that we get over that period of time, as well as cutting back on some specific areas in our budget. Even smaller dollar things like pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> oh man, that's hard for me to say. But those types of things really can make a big impact. They, they add up. So that's that extra amount that we'd like to give each month. Now I'm really excited about this, but if I'm being transparent, I'm a little fearful too, because over the next two years, there are a lot of changes that are going on in our lives. So we want to pursue being sacrificial and impact givers, but we don't do that lightly. We actually have a kiddo on the way. Abby's expecting due in March, and we're really excited about that. But that changes some things. Yeah, you can clap. Don't clap for me though. Clap for her. So we're really excited about that, but that really does change kind of the way that we've been thinking about our finances. What if this is the expensive child, you know? <laughs> but honestly, there, there are times where any faith step scares you, right? And for us, we want to remember this is right where God wants us to be. He wants us to move from this fearful step to this faith-filled step. So that's why we're excited about giving for their future, because we believe the bottom of our hearts that we want to be a part of doing whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. We want your community and my community to continue to be impacted by what God is doing through the ridge. Thanks, Adam. And by the way, since you, uh, since you went there and brought up the pumpkin lattes, um, I, by the way, I hope you, when you sacrifice those, they're on your days off and not the days you come in and search, because I hate to see your mood in, on those days. But uh, I jokingly, but maybe I, I won't do it jokingly, told Adam this week, all right, if you're going to give up pumpkin latte, I am in this fantasy football league that the winner gets $300 at the end of the year, and right now I'm leading that league. And I told Adam this week, okay, if I win it, 
I'll give that $300 so you can pray that I'll win the fantasy football league, okay? I, I know you shouldn't do that, but do it anyway, all right? Because I want to win that league. I'll, I'll let you know the results of that. Um, seriously, here, here are some ways to make sacrifices. Uh, sell something of value. Put off upgrades for a couple of years. Eat out less. Go to fewer movies or entertainment. Transfer stocks. Give your pay raises. Give your bonuses. Many years ago, a fire destroyed a building that contained tons of ice. And someone, when writing about that incident, said, though the building contained thousands of gallons of potential extinguisher, the water was not in usable form. The building was full of frozen assets. Many of us have assets that are frozen and taking up space when they could be used to make a difference in what really matters, someone's life for eternity. So this week, prayerfully consider, God, what would you have me or what would you have us to do? Talk it over with your spouse. Include your kids or your family in this. I mean, think about it. What an awesome opportunity to model for your kids what really matters.